We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello and welcome back to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast that brings you independent and interesting STEM content from Luchawitta, Tasmania. Our show is proudly supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium youth station. Before we start today, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which our show is based, the Palawa and Pakana people of Luchawitta. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which you're listening, And on behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to Elders past and present. My name's Ryan Smith, and if you joined us last week, you would have heard me chatting with Dr. Kate Johnson. She's one of our members here at Twix, and she's just recently returned from the USA as part of her Fulbright Fellowship Program. Today we're actually chatting with another Fulbright Fellow, Cade Kane, who is originally from the US, but is currently living in Tasmania. We discuss how he became a Fulbright Fellow, what he's been up to while in Tassie, and a whole lot more. Cade, it's great to have you here. Before we get into some of the nitty-gritty about the Fulbright Fellowship, what's your actual area of expertise and what are you researching? Hi, thanks. Yeah, so my area of research focuses on um, plant physiology and more specifically looking at uh, leaf lifespans, so in deciduous tree species, um, how long from bud bursts until leaf fall do they retain their leaves? And my Fulbright project specifically focuses on whether, how climate change is going to impact leaf lifespan in deciduous forests, mostly located in the Northern Hemisphere. What actually led you to getting involved in the Fulbright program in the first place? Uh, So I actually heard about the Fulbright from another PhD student in the lab I work in back in uh, the U.S., And he was planning on applying and then never did. And so then a year later, I was like, well, this seems interesting. I'll give it a shot. And so uh, Purdue University, where I'm from, actually has a pretty robust uh, application like service to help you prepare for it and uh, seminars about what to what to write, what not to include and things like that. How long did the process actually take then from initially applying to now sitting with me in a room in Hobart? So I, I went to like call outs at the university in I think the end of March um, 2021 and then I submitted, I started writing my application in April of 2021 and then I submitted to, you have to it, for in America you have to submit to your university first and that was around August, submitted the final one in October of 2021, um, got my initial like positive feedback like oh you're in a semi-finalist in January of 2022 and then what I was the interview process was very interesting I was sort of told like oh well you'll hear you'll hear from us in February and you know you'll, you'll get a few possible dates and you pick the one that works best for you and then February came and went March came and went like April came and went and I was sort of like well am I ever going to hear from them because uh my application at my project was pretty timely like I needed to be in Australia for the start of spring so I was like getting a little nervous about well if I even get it am I going to be miss my opportunity to do the project and then um, on a Monday night I got an email saying your interview will be 8 p.m your time on Wednesday will you please respond will you be attending and I was just like well I guess I will be attending (laughs) 
And then a week after, I did the interview, and then a week after that, I got my uh, notification that I'd been selected. So, after, so from the start of the application to the uh, acceptance, it took a, about a year and a, a year and a half of a month. So a long time. If you start early enough, you have quite a lot of time to go through multiple revisions. And then when you actually open the application, there sort of was a lot more. Like there was a lot of little questions, like oh, give us a you know one sentence summary, give us six hundred words on um, how your project will you know impact the United States, six hundred words on how it will impact Australia, in and different things like that. And so that was kind of stressful because I kind of and it was maybe my fault. I left that a little late, and so I was sort of had about a week to do all these sort of smaller essay questions and I thought I was done but yeah overall it was relatively straightforward it just took a lot of time and a lot of going over again and again and do you feel like you had a pretty good handle on what you were going to write in your application and the actual work that you were going to do subsequent to getting into the program yeah I did a fair bit of research um, about Australia and, and why I was going to come and you know it was my project was really great because sort of Hobart and Tasmania were was because of the latitude and the fact that you guys have um, a lot milder winters than we get back where I'm from, um, it was pretty much one of the only places in the world I could actually do this project. And so I had the I knew the answers. It was just then writing them professionally and getting them to fit into those pretty limited word spaces. Because sort of what I've found doing a PhD and writing like applications like this, it's a lot harder to it's it's a lot easier to write more than it is to cut back on what you want to say. Mm. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of research on uh, Tasmania and the what was the the one of the main things for my cultural engagement section was I have a very I have a big interest in like um, art and uh, music and things like that. And so Mona, the Museum of Old and New Art, was a big uh, part of my personal statement and and why. Do I, how will I be engaging with the people of Tasmania outside of the lab? That's really cool. So if you're not a Tasmanian listener or you haven't been here before, Mona is the Museum of Old and New Art, and it's one of those definite places you have to go if you're in Tasmania. But it's quite a confronting and quite bizarre at times museum. Um, so what's your actual work looked like while you're there? Or have you had much of a chance to do any work there yet? Um, I haven't yet. I mean, I'm planning on attending the uh, the various festivals that will be happening in the at the uh, solstices. Um, I've been out to it, and I, I thought it was probably one of the coolest art museums I've ever uh, been to. And like, taking the ferry up is a very like pretty wild experience for an art museum. Um, but I haven't yet. But I plan to uh, moving forward. I've got a few months left here. Yeah, definitely. And we should clarify that you've only been in Tasmania for three months now. So you're still pretty early on in your Fulbright journey. But coming back to the application, what sort of input did you have from other people, like your lab groups or your supervisors? So uh, for me, the, the most challenging portion was um, writing the personal statement because I, I, I found it at times difficult to like, sell yourself and really like talk up um you know your achievements and like how how like just like you're writing this one page essay about how 
how you're the best person in the world and how like nobody can be doing like nobody deserves this more than you kind of and that was extremely difficult i had i mean all of the writing i had quite a bit of feedback from uh, my advisor um, back home who's also uh from tasmania and then um the university also offers like some fulbright sort of support uh to have people who have been on fulbright panels sort of look over applications and different things like that but the personal statement was by far the most challenging part of writing you know, like we had a good idea for the project the research statement was like kind of came together pretty quickly and then that personal statement i would just stare at a blank page it was for like hours on end just being like why do why do i deserve this why should i get this over everybody else yeah it's always a hard part of science isn't it because we're so focused on collecting data and getting good data that, that sometimes the hardest part is actually yeah selling yourself and saying that you've actually done a really good research project and presenting that as what it is good research do you do you have any tips for the application process if anyone wanted to apply for it or were thinking about applying for it I'd say start early, uh, like because as like as I said, it took a long time. I mean, I wasn't working on it for a year straight, but on and off for you know almost over a year. Um, so start early if you have any international experience, um, whether that be just like a semester abroad or working in another country. Um, I would say chalk that up in your personal statement quite a bit because it shows that like you can survive and thrive hopefully outside of your home country um and if you haven't then i would say like are, are you have you volunteered at a lot of places um and you know have you do you run any you know societies or clubs at your university different things like that to try and show that you will be able to engage with a different society a different group of people outside of just the lab space we'll touch on this more in part two but Initially, how have you been finding living in Australia? Is it quite different to what you're used to in the US? So, I mean, I have not been outside. So, I have not been outside of Tasmania much. To so, I don't know about speaking as about Australia as a whole. I found I have found it so far to be very interesting in how similar I found um, Tasmania to like Indiana. There, are the, with a few key differences being how much people here care about like the environment like you know other than that I, it's i found it quite similar it's it's a place with a few big city a few larger cities of very rural areas and people are very down to earth and like really kind and have been very welcoming to me so i've i think it's very similar to where i come from in the united states with a few like positive differences do you feel like that might have set you apart as an applicant then? Because our cultures are quite similar in a way, so it's not as if you're going too far away in terms of culture shock or clash or anything like that, but also that your work is quite dependent on the Tasmanian climate. So as you said, there really wouldn't be another option for you to go somewhere else? I definitely think that helped, and I, I think I made it very clear in some of my writings that like you know because some of the que some of the questions that like Fulbright raises is like what will you as like an American like what do you as an American bring to Australia like what like how will you represent America well and I guess I hope I will I don't it's I always find it hard to know what that really means like 
And sometimes I think it comes across a little like imperialistically, like, you know, I'll go here and like be, t tell them how great America is. But I think in my application, I really stressed what I think I would gain from Australians and, and like what I said about the, the, the fierceness with which like nature is defended and trying to bring that back to um, Indiana and try to show and educate people that like, but there's so much to be gained from really preserving um, nature and to fiercely fight for like, you know, biodiversity and things like that. And then I think maybe what I kind of then the mirror of that was bringing here is to maybe talk to Tasmanians about, well, what happens, what does a place look like if you allow industry to really cut down, to really like uh, cut down all your forests and sort of degrade the landscape? I really love how you've spoken there about that cultural exchange of not just us giving to you, but also you giving back to the USA once you return. Were you given any sort of direction on how much time you were to allocate to doing your work for the fellowship versus how much time you could spend holidaying or vacationing and enjoying Tasmania? Yeah, so like it's it was very it was stressed very heavily to me by the, the people who sort of manage the Fulbright group at Purdue University that like you can't like this is not a vacation like you're not taking a ten month vacation to Australia. Like you you need to like engage with the community, do a good job at your research, you know, spend you know, spend time like you can take like take vacations and sure, but like go and explore and like engage with um the host country. And so I, I think for me, I definitely took it as the perspective of instead of like, what can I as an American come here and offer Australians? I really wanted to take it more in the lens of like, what can I learn that then I can bring back and sort of see like, well, you know, we in America do things this way, but there's other ways of, of existing. And, you know, maybe some of them are, there's aspects of the way some Australians live and the way you guys do things down here that could improve the way um, we interact with nature and other people in America. Yeah, so I suppose you're saying that Tasmania is definitely unique in the way that we do focus on nature as being a big part of both our culture and our research. Do you wish that the US had a similar feeling? Yeah, I do. And, and there are places in the US that really like do take natural preservation seriously there's like a lot of really fantastic nat uh, national parks out sort of in the western united states and indiana just got our first national park a couple of years ago the the dunes up north which are uh, which are amazing but yeah i think like in the midwest and areas that have sort of been like degraded by um, agriculture and industry and they're like for reason like they're very poor areas and people you know struck can struggle to get by and so I think that there is something to be learned with trying to do a better job of balancing that as you guys you know, balance, although I know sometimes it can get a little heated here uh, as far as um, the balance of it all, but balancing it and not letting it just go all in towards the, like, the industrial and the agricultural, but to leave some breathing room for nature to exist because it really does benefit everybody in the whole world.
You're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name's Ryan Smith, and I'm here with Cade Kane. So, Cade, how are you actually finding living abroad? Is this the first time you've lived outside of the USA? Uh, yeah, I, so I did in my undergrad an exchange in um, Ireland, which in Dublin, which is actually how I got interested in plant physiology um, in the first place, working at a University College Dublin. But um, this is the longest, so that was about six months. This will be the longest I've been outside of America for, and it was definitely a challenge. So the the toughest thing was for sure finding housing. Like I, I sort of was in the vaguely aware of like some housing issues in Australia, but I was sort of like, oh, Hobart, like Tasmania is like not very populous. Hobart's kind of a smaller city. It won't be that big an issue. And then I sort of was getting ready to come and looking at places and I was like, oh, I can't find anything and everything I can find is very expensive. And I'm only here for 10 months. So like finding a 12, a year long lease was a little difficult. Um, but once I sort of got that sorted, uh, the process was relatively smooth. The visa application process wasn't too terrible. And the worst thing about actually traveling was how long the flight was. And the, the Sydney airport was sort of a nightmare to navigate. I'll say that was probably the worst thing. It's, it's been a very funny um, process, like being around Australia. So the only time I was in the mainland was coming through the Sydney airport. And I got a lot of people from Australians being like, oh, so like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I'm here for research. Um, where are you going? Like, where's your like final destination? I was like, oh, I'm going to go live in Hobart. And I sort of was got a lot of like, why, why would you do that? <laughs> it's, it's so cold down there. And it's funny because part of my project is focuses on the, the, these leaf lifespans and sort of the fact that Hobart has a much milder winter than where I'm from. So they're like, oh, it's so cold. And I was like, well, it's not that cold because you know, yes, it doesn't freeze that much. You don't get a lot of snow down in Hobart. So it's been a very interesting process. Housing was definitely the toughest, but overall it's been very good. How were you feeling coming here then? Or did your time in Ireland kind of quench any nerves you might have otherwise had? I was definitely nervous coming. I mean, like, you know, I, I go to university, Purdue is in West Lafayette. That was where I was born and I've lived in there in uh, West Lafayette pretty much my whole life. So leaving and coming to, you know, the opposite side of the world, you know, very far away from friends and family was definitely a nerve wracking experience. Um, but once I got on the plane, I was sort of like, you know, you're pot committed and like, oh, there's no reason to be nervous anymore because I've got somewhere to live. I make, I, I can, Fulbright is paying me. I'm not going to starve. Like I'll be okay. And I've done the, I've been doing research for many years. So nothing research wise was something I, I wasn't expecting. I speak the language, although not it's a lot of slang and stuff I'm still kind of getting used to. Um, but it's definitely nervous. It's funny, like, the comparison between here and Dublin. I, of all the places I've lived, the weather here definitely reminds me of Dublin the most. And the people here taking advantage of, like, especially because I kind of got here at the beginning of spring, so it was very rainy and cloudy all the time. And so anytime, no matter what the temperature was, the sun comes out, people are, like, immediately like in short sleeves and shorts like to just like absorb the sun and that was exactly the same experience in Dublin as soon as you get an you get an hour of sun people are just like bathing in it which is very fun and I like I like the the love of you know you get a lot of respect and like for this for the sun when you don't see it for good chunks of time yeah definitely did you have any preconceptions coming to Australia of what you were going to expect you mentioned that the slang was a bit 
difficult to get your head around. Have you sort of started adapting to that? <laughs> so, yeah, my so my advisor back in America is um, Tasmanian, as I mentioned, um, and so he sort of did a bit of like warning me about like, oh, you'll you know you'll run into this. People from Tasmania are, you know you know really friendly but you know there's, a little, there's rural people and there's like a good diversity of, of groups in Tasmania so to be aware of that and so I sort of had a little bit of prep going that way and I think that I guess I didn't really realize I thought I came from sort of a small community but like I got here and I'm living with a family and then about two weeks in um, my landlady goes oh yeah like I'm sort of family friends with your advisor at the university. And she's like, that was a, that's a very, like, Tasmanian experience. And I was just like, oh, so this really is a very, like, tight-knit, small community. Um, so that was sort of a bit shocking. The slang I'm getting very much used to, the, the only ones that I find very tough are the, like, the rhyming slang, like, seppo, just, like, you know, to septic tank, to yank, like, where it's, like, three or four, three or four removed. All the other, like, littler ones I sort of get pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. We do have our own little weird things that we say, particularly in Tasmania, let alone Australia. Have you had any highlights of your time here so far? Uh, so I really, so I got to go pretty early on with uh, a group from the lab to, um, Tim Shea, which is out near uh, Mount Field, and that was like, that was an incredible experience. So where I'm from, I've been to mountains before, but like where I'm from, it's quite flat, and like we're in the plains, and so to see like you know mountains, and on one side it's clear, and the other side there's snow, and different th- and being up that high is something I don't experience very often. That was a lot of fun, and then actually I just was at the. Uh, Christmas pageant, the parade, just over the weekend, and that was, I was like, I was sort of, I was talking to someone there, and they was like, oh yeah, well, it's it's a pretty good parade, but like, it's not, you know, we're not Melbourne or Sydney, like, this is pretty small, and I was like, this is a pretty, like, for me, I was like, this is one of the biggest, best parades I've been through, so, I was, <laughs> so that was a lot of fun as well, and I'm just going up to the park and sitting in the sun, it's all been quite good so far. Yeah, and I see you're wearing a T-shirt today, despite the fact that it's quite windy and cold. Mm-hmm. So you've adapted to the Tasmanian climate quite well, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you found the experience overall? Is it something that you would recommend to other people? Uh, I would definitely recommend it. Um, it. You know, the process of applying was pretty grueling, and like you know, the acceptance rate is pretty is okay for some, like, as when you compare it to other, like, national scholarships, at least on the American side, I'm not sure what the acceptance rate is going uh, to America, but um, I would definitely say if, if you have, if you think you have a good idea for a project and you have a good reason to go to, a con- to like, a country um, and, you know, you think you can get along and you do a little bit of research on the area and think, like, oh, yes, I can survive here, I say definitely apply. It's, it's an amazing program. Um, the people, once I was awarded the application, um, the Australian group uh, of Fulbright people who I think are located in Canberra, um, they have been incredibly supportive and really helpful with uh, getting all my visa application through, you know, pointing me in the direct, in directions for housing and things like that, um, and, you know, helping organize my flights. So I, I would say it's a really great community. And from what I've heard, there's, once your Fulbright is sort of over, there's a really 
big community of like post Fulbright um, people who sort of they have events and they look out for each other and people are really interested to talk to you about your experiences um, abroad after you get back as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have any final tips for those who might be considering applying? Um, yeah, again, like I said, start early uh, and then be be choosy about who you pick for your referees Like, because I think I had to have three um, references and so I had my advisor back home, um, my advisor from an undergrad and then our like department head and they all wrote really fantastic letters and then as well do a good bit of research on um, your I don't know what they actually call it like you, the person who you who you're going to work with because you have to have a letter of endorsement from someone who is in the country to say like oh yes I basically they have to go like I agree that this is a good project and I will provide facilities and, and resources for them to complete this project do research and I reach out to multiple people um, regarding that. So unless you absolutely know who you're going to go work for, which is sort of what I did. I am working for my advisor's advisor. So, um, but you know, spread cast your net wide for both your um, your research institution where you're planning on going to and your referees, and then try, be choosy about who you actually let write those letters. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. If you enjoyed this episode or you'd like to hear more, you can head to That's What I Call Science or That Science Taz on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or by visiting our website at thatscience.org. We really love bringing you science-related content and hope you enjoyed the show. This is our last recorded episode for 2022, but stay tuned because over the next eight weeks we'll be releasing some of the team's favourite Twix episodes from the archive. We hope to see you again next year and have a great summer holiday. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. GemMaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. GemMaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.